today we are going to continue co-teaching about co-laboring. How many of you caught any of the other uh, in this series? This is the third night, and um, the foundational verse is 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9, and it says, for we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. He says he's our co-worker. He doesn't say that he is the boss. He doesn't say he's the, the one driving the remote control. And we so much times as Christians have that perspective. He says he is co-laboring with us. What does it mean? If he's co-laboring with us, that means he has a part and we have a part. That's not just one-sided. And I think, to me, one of the most powerful examples of that, and I've opened with this every one of the three uh, nights, is in Luke chapter 7, verse 30, where it says, But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected God's purposes for them, not having been baptized by John. And when I think of the Pharisees, who I grew up thinking about as the supervillains of the Bible, at least the New Testament anyway, realize God had something better for them. But they rejected. He was willing to do something, but they didn't do their part. I don't want that. When I get to heaven, I want to hear, good and faithful servant, you, you did your part. You worked with me. So tonight, as we were preparing, we were originally going to talk about spiritual gifts. But as we were developing that message, we really felt the Holy Spirit nudge us in a completely different direction. So tonight, we're going to share about spiritual warfare. In order for us to effectively co-labor with God and see His will manifested on this earth, we need to understand both the battleground and the weapons we have been given to triumph over the enemy. I have recently come out of one of the most intense sessions of spiritual battle that I've had in my life, and believe me, it wasn't my first rodeo, so that is saying kind of a lot. And through that experience, a few things have really stuck out to me. The first one is that oftentimes we mistakenly think that when our life is going really smoothly, that we're on the right path, right? Oftentimes, that's actually not the case. So if you have ever had a child who played t-ball, can you get this image in your mind of the kid out in left field, right? And he's picking the clover blossoms. He's out there just hanging out, right? He's not participating in the game. He's not getting engaged. He's not doing what he's supposed to be doing. He's not much of a threat out there in left field, is he? So if I'm a Christian and I'm really not walking the way God wants me to walk or I'm not taking steps to develop my spiritual gifts or taking steps to go in the way God wants me to go to fulfill my purpose, am I that much of a threat to the devil? Is he really going to put up a fuss because I'm not doing anything? Or 
Is he concerned about the Christian who's rounding third base about to score and they are moving in on their target, right? So oftentimes in my life, when I have experienced spiritual opposition, it's been when I'm on the verge of breakthrough or when I am finally moving in the direction God has for me to move, that's when the devil starts barking at me. 1 Peter 5, 8 tells us that the devil is like a roaring lion. Not a tiptoeing lion, not a sneaky lion, a roaring lion. He's loud. But just like some dogs, when their bark is worse than their bite, a lot of times when he's roaring is when we are on the verge of that breakthrough when we are on the verge of doing something amazing with our life, when we are on the verge of impacting the kingdom. And this has happened so consistently in my life that when opposition shows up like that, when spiritual opposition shows up, I get excited. Like something's about to happen. What's it going to be? What's the breakthrough? And when we experience that, oftentimes that's not the time to back down. That is the time to get focused, to dig in, and to press forward because you know you're really, really close to a great reward. The second thing that I've been thinking about through my recent experience is that a lot of Christians aren't really equipped to engage in spiritual battle. A lot of us have theoretical understanding, like we kind of get it up here, we've heard sermons on it, but taking that and actually applying it is a completely different skill, right? And I think there's a third thing that kind of stands in our way when we start to talk about spiritual battle, and that is that there are some really extreme people in the world who have kind of ruined the topic, right? And you probably know who I'm talking about. They're the Christians who blame everything on the devil, right? I stubbed my toe, it was the devil. I got a paper cut, devil. I uh, lost my wristwatch, also the devil. And they walk around kind of sounding like, you know, the mom from Waterboy. Everything's the devil. Okay? I, yeah, a couple people got my reference. But it's important for us to realize that every road has a ditch on either side, Right? So on one side of the road, we have that extreme person. Everything's the devil. Everything's spiritual warfare. We're going crazy on that side. The other side is actually where I think most people reside. And that's we're just not even going to acknowledge it. We're not going to acknowledge that there might be a spiritual or supernatural component to our earthly natural circumstances. And the devil doesn't care which ditch we're in, as long as we're not on the road moving forward. So tonight we're going to talk about biblical truths about spiritual warfare, and we're going to talk about some practical application, how that can actually work in our lives. Ephesians 6.12 tells us that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It is against the rulers against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So is our struggle really 
against our boss, against our neighbor, against our spouse, against our child. No, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. So one of the spiritual gifts that I have been given is the gift of discernment. And one of the ways that that plays out for me is sometimes I feel spiritual stuff happening before it shows up in the physical world. And I used to think, before I understood this whole um, gift that I had been given by God, man, I just randomly will have an anxiety issue, right? I didn't understand that that was actually God alerting me to something going on. Now, if you have a gift of discernment and you feel something happening spiritually, did God give you that gift so you can go cower in the corner, oh, I know what's happening, something's happening, what's, gonna, what's coming? Or did he give you that gift to engage you in the battle, to make you stand up and fight the fight and co-labor with him? I like to picture what they talk about in Daniel 10, 13 to 21. This is the story of the battle with the prince of Persia. So in this story, it details Daniel's interaction with an angel who told him, God heard your prayers and he sent me, but I was held up by a territorial spirit named the prince of Persia for 21 days and I battled him. And in fact, another angel had to come help me. It was so intense and I'm finally here to answer your prayers and give you information. And I picture that happening because that story coincides with what I feel regarding spiritual battle. And I believe, not always, but sometimes that happens to us today, that things are moving and happening in the spiritual realm before we even see it manifested in the physical. Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, I, I think of, maybe you've seen the picture before where it's kind of like an x-ray. You've got a little cartoon guy and he's digging and he's trying to get to like the gold or the diamonds below and, and someone next to him finds a little diamond and then off they go and he's digging and then he quits and with your x-ray vision there you see that there's just this giant diamond down there but he didn't get there. I think that's our Christian life so many times. We're praying, God, would you please do this? And he's like, prayer, answer. He sends it, but before the answer gets there, we've already, we threw up our hands, we walked off, and he's like, but, the, oh. <laughs> you know, he, we missed it because it is a biblical principle that God hears our prayer, but there can be a battle going on. So we need to be aware. Now, Luke chapter 10, verse 19 says, Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing by any means will hurt you. If you say, how do I engage in spiritual warfare? The answer is by exercising the authority that God has given us. God gave us authority. 
Spiritual warfare isn't about how big your muscles are. It's about his spiritual muscles. The Bible says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Matthew 28, verse 18 and 19 says, and Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, all authority. How much? All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore. When you see a therefore in the Bible, look to see what the therefore is there for. Why does it say therefore? Well, I was given authority, therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. See, God gives us the power in His name. Luke chapter 10 verse 17 says, and the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. But the disciples, he sent them out on practice missions, 72 of them. And they came back and they were all excited. They said, whoa, even the demons are submitting to us in your name. They understood we are exercising his authority with his name. Revelations 10, or excuse me, 12, verse 10 through 12 says, Now have come the salvation, the power, and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser, that's the devil, of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb. We've been talking on Sundays about the power of the blood and the fact that without the blood, Christianity would be powerless. The blood of Jesus is what makes the difference. It says the blood of the Lamb and by and, so it's the blood and the word of their testimony. They had to speak what the blood had done. And they did not love their lives so as to shrink from death and therefore rejoice, you heavens, and know that you dwell in them. But woe to the earth and to the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows his time is short. See, this, this is who we're fighting with, the devil who knows that his time is short. When we're, we're covered by the blood of Jesus, the devil, he has no legal right to attack you. How many of you realize that a thief does not have a legal right to your stuff? He, he doesn't. That, that's why he's a thief. So what does a thief do? A thief, it's, it's not his. He doesn't have the right to it, but he looks for an opportunity anyway. He looks for an unlocked door. He looks for uh, some entryway back passage. The Bible says in 1 Peter 5, 8 through 9, it says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He has to look because he can't just take on anyone. He's looking for that opportunity. The Bible says in verse 9, resist him. 
Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. We have to resist him. He is looking for an opportunity. He doesn't have a right. The authority is ours. Someone once said, when was the last time the devil fleed from you? I'll give you the answer. It was the last time you resisted him. You, you realize if a thief comes into your house and nobody says or does anything, the thief will do whatever he wants. But if you do something, he, he will, I, I will never forget. It totally blew my mind. I don't, I don't have much experience in the burglary department. But I do have a friend who does. So I'm talking to this friend of mine. And he, he was a Christian now, but in his B.C. days, as we, we say it, before Christ, he, would, he and his friends would go and they would just burglarize neighborhoods. And, and I was asking him about it one time, and, and this is what he said, and it totally shocked me. He's like, when we came to a house, if the lights were on, we skipped the house. And I was like, the lights I mean, I've watched too many of these movies where, like, the, the, the thieves are, like, undeterred by these high-tech lasers and, and they're pre-programming. No. They would show up. He's like, look, why would we risk going to a house where the lights were on and the neighbors could see us trying to get in when one door, two doors, three doors down, there were houses in total darkness? See, we have this idea. Oh, sometimes it's the littlest thing that it takes. Just resist the devil and he, what does the Bible say? Will flee. So just this past week, we had a good example in our home of what it would look like to resist the devil. So as I mentioned, I was going through a period of spiritual attack. And I talked a little bit about my gift of discernment. Well, one of our younger children also has um, a bit of a gift of discernment. So one night, he came into, into bed with us, and he snuggled in. He was having trouble sleeping. And the next morning, he said to me, Mom, did you know there was a demon in your bedroom last night? I said, no. Well, I told him to go away in Jesus' name, and he did. So I love that. Now, just to be clear... We don't sensationalize the demonic in our home. We don't applaud that. We don't say, oh, tell me more. What did it look like? What did he do? Oh, my gosh. You know, we don't hype that up with our children. In fact, in Isaiah 14, 16 through 17, I love this verse because it's talking about the devil and how we will perceive him. And it says those who see you will gaze at you. They will ponder over you saying, is this the man who made the earth tremble? Who shook the kingdoms? Who made the whole world like wilderness and overthrew cities? This guy? When we actually see the devil, we will be so unimpressed. It's crazy. And sometimes we make him out to be this big, bad thing. But he's not. 
And if a child, if a nine-year-old child can open his mouth and resist the devil, any of us can do it. I really did find it interesting how easy it is for a kid to understand that concept, but how difficult it can be for us as adults who get it all mixed up, jumbled up in our minds. Another way for us to co-labor with God in spiritual warfare is to follow Hebrews 4.16. This verse tells us, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. This verse is telling us we can approach God's throne of grace. He is an ever-present help in times of trouble. Later on, um, Isaiah 43, 26 tells us to put me in remembrance. Let us argue our case together. State your cause that you may be proved right. How many of you would like to argue your case with God on your side? Yeah. This verse tells us that God is willing to argue our case together. It tells us to put him in remembrance. What does that mean? It simply means remind him of what he said. Remind him of the promises in the word. Remind him of the promises he's given to you personally. Put him in remembrance. Declare it. And he will argue your case with you. Stating your case always involves the blood of Jesus. Because without the blood of Jesus, we're guilty, right? We have to apply the blood of Jesus and claim the blood of Jesus. Revelation 12, 11, remember it told us that they triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. So how do we apply the blood of Jesus? It's really pretty easy. We open our mouths and we say, God, thank you so much for the blood of Jesus that takes away my sins. I ask that the blood of Jesus cover this situation, cover this sin, cover this issue. God, I apply the blood of Jesus. And it really is as easy as opening our mouths, confessing the thing that needs to be covered, and claiming the blood of Jesus over that. Because we, as Christians, that is one of the things we get to do as children of God. So after you are covered by the blood of Jesus, open your mouth and bind anything that you feel might be attacking you. Matthew 18, 18 tells us, Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So how do we bind? With our mouth. We open our mouth. So if I am being attacked by fear, it's easy. I rebuke the spirit of fear in the name of Jesus Christ. 
I bind the spirit of fear. I cast you far away from me. I break the spine of you. You have no authority here. I am covered by the blood of Jesus. You have no authority to operate in my life. 1 John 4.18 says there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. So if perfect love casts out fear, what am I losing? Love. God, thank you so much for your unconditional love. Jesus, thank you for your love. Holy Spirit, I ask that you fill me with the love of Christ, that you bring to my remembrance the unconditional, overwhelming, all-consuming love that you have for me because that perfect love is casting out fear. So you bind what's attacking you. You bind what you don't want. You loose what you do. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. So the thing the Bible keeps talking about is the name of Jesus. And there is a difference between faith in Jesus and faith in the name of Jesus. And I want to get an example. How do, how do I illustrate that? So, if I said to one of you, I am going to give you $1,000, how many of you would volunteer? <laughs> Great. Now, what if I said, but you know what? I don't have $1,000 with me. All of my money is down the street at Huntington Bank. You'd say, okay, I'll go with you. Now, if somebody says to me, you said you'd give me $1,000, I trust that you'll give me $1,000, I will go with you to the bank to get the $1,000, that person has faith in me. But if I pull out my wallet, grab a check that I don't have, because I don't carry checks hardly ever, but if I pull out a check, and I write that down, and I sign the, the check, $1,000, and then I put my name in the corner, and I sign it, and I hand it to them, and I say, now, you go down there, and with the power of just my name, they will give you my $1,000. If that person says, no, no, I need you to come with me. See, they believe in me, they don't believe in my name. Jesus has given us the authority of his name. We, in, a, in essence, have the power of his name. You could, say, you could look at it as check-writing power. You can look at it as, as carrying the badge, like, like a police officer has the authority of the city or of the government or of the state that they represent. See, we need to put our faith in his name, not just in him. So many of us are confident, oh yeah, God could do that, but, but, and, and, and I would compare us to the person who, who's holding the check and trying to convince the check writer to come with us to the bank. The Bible says in 1 John 4, 4, it says, you dear children are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than he that is in the world. We have that recognition. We know it's him. He's big. But I, I think of us, sometimes we're kind of like the kid at the neighborhood in the, in the schoolyard who says confidently, my dad can beat up your dad. But how many of you know there's never a fight? 
Like, like they don't, they'll, they'll talk, they, they believe, but they don't apply that to get results. And how do we go about doing that? Do we apply His name for assistance when situations come up against us? Do we call on His name when we actually have a need for power? Or do we just mentally assent, yeah, I serve a big God. He does big things. But when I need big things, well, I just hope. Or do we stand and resist the devil? Now, I want, to, I want to avoid making it sound like the name of Jesus is just an abracadabra or, or a special set of words. In, in the Bible, in Acts chapter 19, verse 13, there's actually a story that, of, about, of this group, and I find it interesting that they're titled the Jewish Itinerant Exorcists, according to the NIV. Who this group was, I don't know. But they noticed what was happening when the disciples and Paul would preach. And they went to try and cast out a demon, and they said to the demon, we cast you out by the Jesus who Paul preaches. And the demon responds and says, Jesus I know, Paul I've heard of, but who are you? And then the story goes on that the demon-possessed man jumps them, beats them up, rips their clothes off, and they run off, beat out without their... Their britches. And they thought that the power was just in the uttering of the syllables. Jesus, who Paul preached. I, I wanted to show a video, but someone told me I didn't have the right authority. I got to get permission. Have any of you seen the, the, the viral video of the Italian grandmother who's talking to the Google device? So there are these devices, Google devices, and you say, okay, Google, and then it listens, and you can say, you know, what's the weather going to be like, or set an alarm for tomorrow morning, or play me this song. And so this Italian grandmother, sweet old lady, has a very heavy accent. And so she is trying to talk to this thing, but she does not say it. So she says, okay, Google, okay, Google. And if you, go, if you guys Google that, you will crack up. It is so funny, but it reminds me that she needed to get the syllables right for Google to understand. It's not about the syllables. It works in English and Spanish and French and in Swahili. The, the seven sons of Sceva, they thought that if they said Jesus, but what the Bible says, it's not through the pronunciation of the syllables, Jesus. It says it is from the faith in his name. What is faith? Faith is a firm conviction. It's the knowledge. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith in his name is a confidence of what the word of God says his name does and means for your life. First or Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19 through 20 says, and his incomparably great power. What kind of power? Incomparably great for us who believe. That power is the same, that mighty strength that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly realms, far above rule and authority and power and dominion in every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. 
And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head of everything for the church. What is God's power for? The church. His incomparable great power is for us who believe. I want to wrap up with this thought. We had so much more we wanted to cover. But I want you to take a moment and imagine what it would be like if we were all effectively using the tools God gave us and engaging in spiritual warfare. I want you to think about what it would be like to have your next dilemma, your next crisis, but before you walk it out in the natural, you've battled it in the spiritual and you know the outcome. If you know the outcome, you've done the prayer, you've done the warfare, you feel the peace in your soul, you know it's resolved, and then you walk through it in the physical, that's a completely different ballgame. Imagine the change in your stress level. Imagine your confidence moving through that situation, knowing it's completely covered. I think of the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they, in Daniel 3, 16 through 18, when they say to King Nebuchadnezzar, we don't even need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. God, the God we serve, is able to deliver us. And they weren't afraid. Well, I imagine they weren't afraid of going into the fire. It was a done deal. Imagine if we could live our lives that way. Because we can. That's what we have been given as God's children, as co-heirs with Jesus. We have that authority here on the earth to walk that way. Psalms 118.6 says, The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? When we have the, the perspective that God has, when we recognize that his power is there for us, that he has given us his name, and that he desires us to speak that name, and that faith without works is dead. It's not just a knowing. It's a knowing and a speaking. And it's a knowing and a, a reacting, a doing. I'm just, <clears throat> I want to close with this. We, we know it's not good for you to smoke. Everybody knows that. Yet people start smoking all the time. And, and there are campaigns that go on about what it does. And they get the people out there that are talking through their throat and telling you what will happen if you don't. And people, suddenly what their head knowledge gets to their heart. And then they want to walk away. And I think that's a good picture of the difference between knowing and knowing. When your knowledge becomes your action. Oh, you know God's big enough. But do you know he's big enough and willing to act on your behalf? And that's what I want to challenge you today. You, I don't think there's anybody in this room who has ever wondered, is God big enough for my situation? How many of you are facing a situation right now that you would like God's assistance with? 
I don't think any of us doubted he was big enough. What we question is, okay, he could, but will he? How could he? Would he? And his answer is yes and amen. He says, I will. Now, step up and declare it. Do the warfare. Declare his will done in your life. I, I was thinking about how to close tonight and how to have an, a, 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 an altar call, and I thought, you know, one thing I could do was we could just invite anybody who wants some warfare started, who, who is inspired and recognizes that that warfare is needed and that God wants to do that, they could come down here. And I thought, but then that would imply that just the few of us leaders are the ones who can do that. What I want you to do, if you have a situation you want to declare, I want you to stand up. Oh, I saw a lot of hands a few minutes ago, and suddenly when you got to stand up, you're going to do things. Now, here's what I want to do. All of us Christians who are around them, I want to go to where they are, and we are going to agree with them in prayer. And if it's a personal matter, you don't have to explain it. God knows it. If you want to give someone a, a brief synopsis so that they can agree with you, do that. We're going to come together, and we're going to launch the spiritual battle against whatever situations are being represented by those who are standing up. How many of you guys are ready to do that with us tonight? All right. Let's go over there. Find somebody. I want you to pray with them, listen, hear what they've got going on, and declare God's will done in that situation.